Once again, good morning, everybody. Welcome. We are so glad that you have joined us for worship today uh, here in the room over in our chapel. Good morning to all of you uh, watching at our Minnetonka campus. Nice to see all of you. Um, and if you're watching from anywhere else in the world online, we are just so blessed to be able to join together uh, in this way for worship this morning. So thanks for being here. My name is Dagny. Uh, I am the pastor of traditional worship here at Calvary, uh, which means I'm usually over in the chapel. Uh, on Sunday mornings, but today I am very excited to be with everybody uh, as we continue on in our series on Colossians. In this series, we have been reading through Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey, and we've been discussing the importance of staying both rooted and growing in our relationship with Jesus. Over the past few weeks, we have been studying how Paul taught and encourage the church in Colossae by contrasting the philosophies of the time and the culture with the truth of God's word. For the first two chapters of this whole book, Paul explains that we are ultimately living for Christ and seeking his approval alone. He helps us understand more deeply the supremacy of Christ in the midst of a world set on tempting us away from him, and that even though he is supreme over all creation, he loves and knows each one of us individually and personally. Paul also shares the wisdom that Christ is the ultimate treasure and that he has been made available to us. And last week, Pastor Zach walked us through the part of Paul's letter that speaks of Christ's fullness and completeness. And that there is nothing that needs to be added to the gospel, but that our identity and our destiny is full and complete in him. So after two chapters of this teaching and correcting and theology and philosophy, today we are going to be diving into chapter three. And in chapter three, Paul shifts from theological to practical. And in the first 17 verses, which we'll be going through today, Paul anticipates the questions that we might have at this point and explains how we should live our lives now as believers who have been made new and alive in Jesus. So we're going to start with Colossians 3, verse 5 today. So if you have your Bible with you or if you have the Bible app on your phone or tablet, I would love if you would turn there with me for this morning. Now in verses 1 through 4, Paul reiterates that because of Jesus, we are positioned in a beautiful fellowship with God. He says, we died. We died and have been raised to a new life in Christ. We who were once living a spiritual darkness, we were wallowing in self-centeredness with no real hope and no genuine love. He says, we have been made entirely new. That old self is dead and gone, and the new transformed person that we were created to be is finally here. Our sins are forgiven, our bondage has been broken, and we have been made free to live a life in Christ that glorifies God, and that is an immense gift. But if you're anything like me, this reality, this truth that Paul is presenting raises a really big question. How do I live a life that honors God? Now, like I said, Paul anticipates this question and provides us with very specific answers. So let's start reading together in Colossians 3, verse 5. Paul says, Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, 
lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So in these verses, Paul says that there are two main areas of behavior that were part of our old lifestyle before we were made new in Christ that must be done away with. They must be abandoned if we're going to live a life that glorifies God, and they have to do with sex and speech, both of which are central areas to human life, and both which involve great potential for good and great potential for evil. And in both cases, Paul lists problem areas and the improper uses of these gifts from God. See, he lists sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires right alongside anger and rage and filthy language. He is just as concerned with sins of speech as he is with sexual sin because both cause serious damage to not only those who commit them, but to the whole community around them. And the way to deal with these practices, Paul says, is extremely clear. Paul is very careful not to leave any room for misunderstanding or misinterpretation. He clearly states that these practices must be put to death. There is to be no gentle dealing with them, for they were a part of our old self, which, as he reminds us, has died. There can be no room for toying with these things or continuing to consider them as possibilities for the future. No, Paul writes that our old ways of living must be thrown away and that it must be done quickly because there is no room for such behaviors in this new life with Christ. Now, Paul is, of course, concerned with individual Christians and the individual behavior of followers of Christ. But if his previous references to unity in the body are any indication, he is particularly concerned with community. Sexual immorality can tear communities apart. Rarely is this misbehavior a purely private matter, and the same goes for slander and lies and gossip. We certainly don't have to look far in our own culture to know that this is true, that these things destroy unity. And the point Paul is making by explaining in no uncertain terms that these things must be done away with is that When we have been raised to new life in Christ, it is all about unity. And that looks different than before. True unity as the body of Christ cannot come from simply naming it so. It comes from real reconciliation and relationship among us. And it becomes clear that this is Paul's intention when we reach verse 11 where he says, Here, there is no Gentile or Jew. There is no slave or free. He says, Christ is all and is in all. 
Any remaining divisions must be done away with. That could be cultural, social, racial, or economic. Whatever divisions existed must be put to death because it is Christ who unites us. This statement is a powerful recall to Paul's assertion that Jesus is sovereign and that nothing lies outside the sphere of his fullness. He is present and active in everything and every one. And we are called to act as if we know that is true. Paul continues and says that this new self, this self that has died and been raised to new life with Christ, is being renewed in the image of its creator. I love that verse. Renewed in the image of its creator. Our old life is gone. And in this new life, we are being renewed completely. And one result of this renewal is new knowledge. Now, this statement may seem a bit sudden and out of place as it's right in the middle of practical instruction. But I'd like to argue that this verse is perhaps the key to our new life as followers of Christ. See, Paul expects we, as followers of Christ, as a part of our whole renewal process, to be able to understand the deeper issues involved with our previous vices. Paul is saying, do not lie to one another. Do not slander or lust or use filthy language or demonstrate greed because your mind is being renewed and now you know better because God, your creator, is the one renewing you. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean leaving our minds at the door, following rules or putting to death parts of ourselves or parts of our past life just because someone tells us to. No, being a Christian and living as those made alive in Christ means learning to think harder, to think more clearly and to know more deeply the truth about who our creator is and then responding accordingly. This kind of knowledge that Paul is saying is being renewed within us is part of what it actually means to be the sort of human the gospel is meant to produce. So Paul says, put off the old ways and let your mind be renewed by the creator. Let's read on together and take a look at the next few verses, keeping in mind our original question where we ask, how do I live a life that glorifies God? Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, having taken off the vices of our old nature, Paul explains that we are now free to clothe ourselves in the virtues of Christ. And I love that imagery of clothing ourselves. I've always found it to be a powerful image when thinking about how I have been made new But recently, I realized that my understanding of clothing myself in the virtues of Christ was a little bit off, and I want to explain that to you and maybe see if you can relate. You see, when I hear clothe yourself, I immediately recall the times when I was little and I would play dress up with my sisters. Um, We have an image. I'll get out of the way so everybody can see it. (laughs) 
Um, hey, which one's me? Uh, I'm over on the right, and then my two sisters uh, are on the middle and the left. And we had a bin of old Halloween costumes, my mom's old prom dresses, our dad's button-ups. Uh, or at my grandma's house, we had a trunk there, too, filled with old hats and gloves and costume jewelry. And we would pull them out and put them on and parade around the house very proudly. And my sisters and I would pick out a costume depending on what we were playing or what character we wanted to be. We always dressed for the part. And in that understanding of being clothed, where I got to pick out what I wanted to wear depending on the character, while that's a completely hilarious and wonderful memory with my sisters, it's actually not the best example for me to draw on when I hear the words in Colossians, clothe yourselves. You see, Paul isn't saying to pick out one set of clothes, virtues, for circumstance A, but go ahead and and keep the other ones in the trunk for later when you want to play a different character. Instead, the image Paul is likely referencing is the image of baptism, which the Colossians would have been very familiar with. In the early church, it was frequently the case that when someone was being baptized, they would completely take off all of their clothes. And then after being baptized, they would be given a brand new set of clothes. And traditionally, these clothes were white to signify the purity of the new life that they were entering. These clothes represented the reality that Christ, through his death and resurrection, has exchanged our old life for a new one. And an entirely new being has taken the place of our past self, and now we're free. Free from our old ways, and free to clothe ourselves in things like compassion and kindness and humility, and to do so permanently. Paul writes that since we are God's chosen people, we have been made holy, set apart, and now even outwardly clothed in a new way. Living as those who have been made alive in Christ actually begins to look different from the outside, not just the inside. The virtues that we are free to clothe ourselves in look drastically different from the norms of the world. In this life with Christ, we are set free from things like slander and malice, and instead free to bear with one another and forgive one another and love one another in perfect unity. These virtues, in stark contrast to the vices that Paul listed before, actually seek to create community rather than destroy it. They aid in building each other up, which looks much different from the world's tendency to tear each other down. And it's amazing to me that Paul's teaching here is just as relevant for us as it was for the Colossian church. We face age-old obstacles in this world, culture, philosophy, and religious traditions that seek to turn us away from the truth of the gospel. But what Paul is saying is that when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you were made a member of the family of God. Your priorities changed from serving yourself to serving Christ. Your identity changed from of this world to of Christ. Your old mindset has been put to death, which includes things like your old priorities, your old desires and thinking, and your old way of reacting. 
And in its place is a life that seeks to glorify God in thought, word, and deed. And that looks different. Being made alive in Christ is not just about the theology you know or the morals and beliefs that you say you have. It's not talking the talk, but actually walking the walk. So we ask, how do I live a life that glorifies God? And Paul says, clothe yourselves in his ways and do it permanently. In the final few verses that we're going to look at today, Paul gives one more answer to our big question. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As believers, whether old or new, it can be incredibly difficult to put to death our old nature. Old habits certainly do die hard. We, day, we face daily battles, both in public and in private, and although we have been made new, we remain broken human beings in need of deep repair. Imperfect people who will stumble and will fall and will screw up. And so it can be easy to want to revert to our old ways when times get tough, when someone hurts us, or when our way of new life seems unpopular. It can be tempting to start listening to people who tell us that clothing ourselves in the ways of Christ means that we've become a bunch of pushovers and that we won't stand up for ourselves. It can be easy to view this change as one that leaves us vulnerable to attack, to being taken advantage of, or maybe it makes us look silly or weak. And to that I ask, have you ever tried forgiving someone who seriously wronged you? Have you ever attempted compassion and patience when met with someone very frustrating, giving you an ignorant argument? That is hard work. That is extremely hard work, and that comes from the very depths of us. And the reality is that on our own, we are not able to do it. On our own, it is much easier to slip back into our old ways, which is why Paul speaks so passionately about the unity of the body of Christ. Letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, letting it be the reality around which we build our lives is not easy. It takes serious prayer and a real moral effort to respond with peace rather than revert to anger or slander. In these verses, we see that it takes unity as the body of Christ through teaching and singing and prayer to respond with Christ's peace rather than with impatience, lust, and greed. I want us each to take a moment this morning to think about what that means in our lives today. What could and should that actually look like? What would it take in your family for compassion and kindness and humility to be the norm? 
What would it take in your school for forgiveness and gentleness and patience to be the standard? What about here at church and among other Christians? What kind of change would it actually take? Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Church, if we are going to hold firm to these new selves, if we're going to succeed in glorifying God with our lives, we have to remind one another of the good news of the gospel. There can be no division among us in the body of Christ. Behaviors that tear us apart must be put to death, and instead we have to encourage one another, teach one another, pick each other up when we fall, pray for one another, and know that looking different, that being different in this way as those who have been made alive in Christ is not an individual sport. It requires active unity and proactive discipleship. It looks like building up the next generation and teaching one another and correcting one another with patience and love. It looks like rejoicing over each other with songs and psalms because walking in this new life is hard. We will be met with obstacles and temptations to respond the way that the world wants us to. The world will scoff at people who are clothed in something different. And so Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We will be tempted to revert to our old ways. And the reality is that we will fail sometimes. But as a final response to our question, how do I live a life that glorifies God? Paul says, do everything, everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Remain rooted in Jesus Christ. And it will be difficult sometimes, but God in his mercy has made it possible by uniting us in Christ and giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's with his power and his help that we can live up to and live into our new identity in Christ Jesus. It is in relationship with one another and with the Holy Spirit that we are ultimately given the strength to live a life that glorifies God. One where we are free to take off our old selves clothe and unite ourselves in the peace of Christ and grow into the newly created selves that we were always intended to be. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning uh, just with so much gratitude in our hearts. Grateful that you have made us new and that you have exchanged our old life with this new one, Lord, where we are free to fully and boldly glorify you. God, you know more than us the ways that we have fallen short and that we have continued to stumble back into our old ways, Lord. And for that, this morning, we ask for forgiveness. Forgive us for the ways that our actions and our behaviors have weakened and fractured the unity of your people. Unite us, Lord. God, help us to know so deeply 
who we are in you, that it becomes simple and easy to throw off our old ways and instead clothe ourselves in your peace. Help us to respond to this broken world with compassion and patience. All in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray this morning.